0: Welcome to the Codecast Podcast, real world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 258th episode of the Codecast Podcast. My name is Terry Fletcher. I hope everyone is having a good September and fall has started. I'm starting to see the Weather change a little bit, which has been really nice. We've had a heat wave here in California, and now we're back to the 80s, which is nice because I get to use my new pool. So what I want to talk about today is the No Surprise Act. So I talked about it in February, but we've had some what we call frequently asked questions, FAQs, with regard to the act, and I still think there's some confusion. So I wanted to clear that up today with our Top 10 Tuesday. So first of all, what situations prohibit a provider from balance billing a patient? So first of all, balance billing means you're trying to get the patient to pay the difference between what you billed and then what you got paid without any adjustments or write-offs or PPO reductions or a uh, limited charge reductions or anything like that. So balance billing. And I think patients are confused with that because they think it means any out of pocket. So the first thing you wanna do is when you're talking to patients, let them know that balance billing and their share of cost billing are two separate things. So for the balance billing, the legislation prohibits providers from balance billing in three separate instances. So out of network emergency items and services, out-of-network non-emergency items and services by an in-network facility and then out-of-network air ambulance healthcare items and services. Now, a non-participating physician offering non-emergency care in a participating facility can balance bill a patient only if they let the patient know gave them a good faith estimate of the charges within 72 hours, prior to receiving the out-of-network care. Basically, even if the patient asks for it, it's on the provider to make sure that the patient has acknowledged they have been given this information because they're gonna track these advanced notifications and that's how you're gonna get paid for that if there's ever a question. This provider specialties I'm seeing that have been most impacted by the No Surprise Act would obviously be emergency medicine, anesthesiology because they're on rotation, general surgery because they do trauma, pathology, radiology, neonatal services, believe it or not, and then diagnostic services, because that just happens to be part of what happens when a patient comes in in an emergent situation. Now, just a reminder, this does not affect Medicare, Medicaid, Indian Health Services, CHIPS, TRICARE, Veterans Health, because they already have protections against high balance billing. So number two, what's involved with the negotiation between payers and providers for reimbursement as well as the arbitration process. So I'm going to kind of give it to you in a nutshell. The provider can either accept the initial payment from the payer or within 30 days of that payment, they can initiate open negotiations with the payer for a different amount. If a solution is not reached after that 30 day of open negotiations, then there's a four day window to send notice of what they call the IDR, Independent Dispute Resolution Request. And then once the IDR entity has been selected, and a 30-day, it's really an arbiter, a 30-day IDR process begins. Now remember, once you open up the IDR, so to take something to an arbiter, then that means you have to pay for that and there's cost involved. So be be aware of that. And then the that process um, decides on the payment, the median and network rates. Any request or submitted information to clarify why the doctor wants more than what was paid, a level of provider experience, training quality, which I'm surprised they're doing with that because I'm never seeing that happen when we're getting paid when we just are in-network providers, so that's weird. Uh, market share of the provider, acuity of the patient. And then here's the last one they actually look at, which I don't know if I like because physicians should have a choice. But one of the other things they consider in determining their decision is demonstrations of a good faith effort to enter network agreements over the last four years so maybe the network was closed to new providers or closed to your specialty but they want to say that oh well you at least try to get in and I know a lot of anesthesiologists are like why would I do that you know I'm on rotation and I have to I'm usually called in the middle of the night I want to get paid what I want to get paid so that's new that's interesting number three is the price negotiation under the no surprise act it is different from an appeal because once you take it to the um, IDR process, then that's just negotiation and settlement. There's no appeal uh, term anywhere in the NSA. And then can a member challenge a balance bill or negotiate a lower payment after notification that the provider is out of network? So here's how that works. This is Number four, the consent form that the member signs, that's an acknowledgement that the member subscriber has read the notice and is not considered a contractual obligation for payment, though, according to the No Surprise Act. So there is an implication that the member or plan can still dispute or negotiate with the provider on the member's payment. So you they can acknowledge that they've read the notice, but you also need to have a financial in place so that they know that they're understanding what their share of cost is. Also, if your good faith estimate for cash patients or for out-of-network patients exceeds $400, then yes, they can also file a dispute. Uh, it costs them $25, I think, to do that. Number five, what happens when a member or patient receives a balance bill for emergency or other services, which again is prohibited from balance billing? So if a member a subscriber, so a patient receives a balance bill that is prohibited by the No Surprise Act, then they need to contact their health plan and the NSA requires that the US Department of Health and Human Services, so the HHS, um, they have a complaint process for these patients to report this. But it's, you know, anytime you report anything, so you heard me talk about the physicians that are entering into the independent dispute resolution or a patient wants to complain, they charge for that. So you better know that um, you're, and that's non-refundable. You can't get paid back for those charges to try either to get your money or negotiate from a patient perspective um, what they're trying to charge you how will the advanced explanation of benefit process work before services are rendered? So that's the good faith estimate I was talking about, This number six. So the AEOB, they call it, is triggered by the good faith estimate that the provider submits to the member's health plan. While the act does not prohibit a plan for providing additional information in the AEOB, the NSA law language implies that the cost sharing estimate itself should be based on the provider's good faith estimate and not on the amount that the plan believes the provider will ultimately accept as payment. So I know that's kind of hard to understand. So what you told the patient that you thought their cost sharing should be is you have to get as close to that as possible, not what, you know, they could be um, as far as a higher amount. Number seven, what are the penalties to providers for violating the NSA? So, for services covered by the No Surprise Act, providers are prohibited prohibited from balance billing patients more than the in-network cost-sharing amount. So, and that could be a penalty up to ten thousand dollars for each violation that can apply. So, again, it is for that um, out-of-network amount. So, if you if you are if you have a patient's out-of-network and they didn't know and it's an emergent situation, and now they're, you know, you're trying to get paid based on what wasn't paid by their plan. If you try to balance bill the patient, you know, 10, 40, 10 to forty thousand dollars, which I've seen, then that's where you can be in violation. You would have to have somebody in your practice go back and say, okay, if this patient was Kaiser or was United Healthcare PPO or, you know, EPO from Aetna, how much would their out of pocket out of pocket have been? And you can even base it on average deductibles and, you know, twenty percent things like that, whatever um that that plan would have been that would be um, that the patient would have had. So you're going to have a lot of administrative work here for your staff. Number eight, how will enforcement of the NSA work? This is a big thing. So if problems arise, consumers might need to seek help from one of the enforcing agencies. The government, of course, has exclusive enforcement responsibility for most private health plans. But different agencies could be involved. State governments will lead enforcement for state regulated plans. So self-insured policies, perfect example, um, American Airlines. They're uh, based out of Dallas, and so they are self-insured. They have their own plan, same with Amazon. And so wherever their uh, corporate headquarters are, they are state regulated for those plans. Number nine, how can um, you really help manage this process? So how? what can you do? Well, you want to make sure that you are tracking amounts. So you need to have somebody assigned to this, pull something off their desk, give that to somebody else, hire somebody either part-time or full-time, but you need to have somebody that is following up on these, um, these amounts and these accounts that are having to follow this NSA situation. Um, make sure that, you know, how many claims are still outstanding or have been resolved. Sometimes they sit in minutiae and you never get them, you know, really, um, brought forward and you're waiting for your IDR, you're waiting for any payment from the payer. Because remember, one of the things that's tough here is the payer has a choice either to pay you or they could deny it saying that the patient's on a network and now you have to go into that 30-day period. So to me, it's very favorable not only to the patient, but to the payer, but never to the provider. And then make sure your staff is posting correct contractual allowances, agreed upon reimbursement amounts on behalf of the provider, what the patient is going to have to pay, especially if you have self-pay and a lot of -of out-of-network patients. And then make sure that you also know what the fee schedules are. And if you can get on any networks that you're out of network for, I strongly urge you to do that. And then the last one, this is number 10. um, basically assisting with sending advanced notification to patients where providers are required to notify them of their network status and good faith estimate. This is something that a question comes up all the time. Should we have somebody make sure that we are sending something to the patient so they know what their GFE is, even if it was talked about in the office right before their procedure, should we also send them something and then remind them of their out of pocket? I would, because this has just become such a, it's become such a, a chaotic nightmare to payers, um, or I should say to providers, because they're finding that um, over 80% haven't even been looked at yet or scheduled. So, who's manning the desk as far as scheduling these independent dispute resolutions? And so, it's really important for your office to be on top of it. Otherwise, if you don't, you're going to have a lot of these claims start to get very dated. And you can miss some of the timeline windows, such as the 30 days, the four days, and then the, the 30 days extension after that, and then the possible 60 days once you enter into the dispute agreement. So there's a lot of deadlines and timeline deadlines that you want somebody to be on top of. Please don't just let this go because patients are hearing it in the news every day and they're misinterpreting the information. They think that balance billing means they're out of pocket instead of the balance from an out of network provider from what was paid versus what Um, they would have to pay or what's still on the balance sheet. So really talk to your patients, make sure that you update that. You can Google the No Surprises Act and get a gist. You can also get forms from that from the HHS government website um, so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to good faith estimates or anything like that. I also have this on demand with a PowerPoint if you wanted to listen to a more formal uh, webinar on that. Speaking of that, so I also wanted to let you know I do have the 2023 e On Demand webinar. So for all the guidelines coming up for the new office visits, hospital visits, observation visits, all of the new and deleted codes and how the revisions are going to affect all practices starting January 1st. So please take a look at my website at terryfletcher.net for that. Also, we have a lot of new Coding Corner clients, both executive membership and and regular membership. So, if you're interested in unlimited coding questions, please take a look again. TerryFletcher.net, and hopefully that'll be something that you want to join our membership for. We also have quarterly for executive members. The Ask Me Anything uh, Zoom call, and that is just something I send you, and you can get on and ask any questions live um, every quarter. So that's something that you might want to consider. For those of you listening to this right now, also um, tomorrow the 28th, I will have a Medicare third quarter update. And that's with the NSCHBC. So make sure you take a look at that. Um, and on their website, it's NSCHBC.org and that would be at 8 a.m. Pacific time, so 11 a.m. Eastern time. But it's all the the updates from Medicare for third quarter and boy, did we have a lot of them. And the last thing I'm going to mention is we have what we call a behavioral health and mental health virtual summit. Again, through the NSCHBC, I'll be teaching two of the um, sessions on that, but we have a lot of great speakers. Um, Karen George Esquire, we've got um, Christine Hall, we have um, Betty Hovey, Sean Weiss, and just a lot of really good speakers for that. That is October 20th to the 21st. Take a look at the NSCHBC.org um, website and go to Education, and you'll see it a drop down screen. We have a lot of education coming up. So my personal tidbit this week, I am pretty excited about. So I am three weeks out for my Hawaii vacation that I take every year. I wish it was going to be for the APC, but they still had some COVID restrictions as far as hotel scheduling from last year, but we're hoping to be back next year with them. But it's just fun because now I get to bring my daughter. She got a new job with um, teaching high school English and AP classes. So she moved from middle school to high school, but guess what? That's her fall break. So she gets to come with us with her new husband and we're very excited about that. So, um, that's in the, middle of October. So, anyway, I'm just excited a lot of things in the fall coming up and as I'm sure you have as well, but that's it for me today. So, everyone, make it a great day and thank you for listening to the Codecast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net podcast producer Joe Kuzma music producer Assassin Music